the dynamism in the attack vectors continues to grow. Um, one thing we're seeing particularly, Stephen, are, are attackers using AI um, to, to improve their techniques across many areas of, of offensive security, phishing, impersonation, vulnerability discovery, uh, things like evasive malware generation. Um, this, this type of attack um, continues to grow both in the commercial and government sectors. And so that forensics capability and the sophistication of it, the ability to rapidly respond uh, is something that we're providing to a number of customers. Welcome to Inflection Points, a podcast series from Jacobs. I'm your host, Stephen Ludwig. That was the voice of John Carabias, Vice President, Growth and Sales Strategy for Critical Mission Solutions, Jacob Cyber. We sat down with him and Eric Conway, Technical Director for Cybersecurity Capabilities and Solutions, Jacob Cyber. And we talked about all things cyber, security, infrastructure, operations, data, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. It was a really interesting conversation about where cyber is, where it is going, and what government organizations and businesses can and should be doing around their cyber operations. The Jacobs Podcast is where we meet the people that help create solutions that deliver a more connected, sustainable world. And now with that, it's on with the podcast. So Eric and John, uh, can you introduce yourselves and kind of tell us how you got involved with cyber? Eric, do you want to lead us off? Sure. So uh, my name is Eric Conway. I am the technical director for the Jacobs Cyber Business Unit. And for the last 20 years or so, I've been uh, an engineer supporting uh, cyber solutions uh, in support of the intelligence community and the Department of Defense uh, focusing on cyberspace operations. And John? Yeah, so it's John Kirbyus. I'm the vice president of sales and strategy for our cyber business unit. Spent most of my career in the uh, computers command control ISR area, which is referred to as C5 ISR. That really has uh, included cyber over the last five or six years. I've been doing that in the DOD space. Originally on the program side with Homeland Security, but but most recently with DOD um, and, and now the intelligence community uh, in, in both a technical and a business development capacity. In addition to that, uh, I'm an adjunct professor at Loyola University in Maryland, where I teach a course on information systems to include artificial intelligence and other contemporary IT applications like cloud and, and mobile computing. It doesn't sound like you have a lot of free time there, John. <laughs> no, I've also got a five-month-old, uh, so, so free time is scarce, Steve. Yeah. So, you know, when I hear someone say cyber, I always think they're leaving off the rest, cybersecurity, but I understand that cyber is its own complete uh, category. Can you explain what cyber means when they use just the term cyber? Uh, Eric, do you want to take that? Sure. Um that is a topic of discussion quite frequently uh, when you have a term like cyber that's used in many different scenarios. Uh, cybersecurity is an aspect of cyber, but cyber also, I believe, uh, encompasses uh, communication systems, um, in intelligence, uh, surveillance, reconnaissance, or ISR. I'm sorry, Eric, what is ISR? Uh, Intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance. Great. I'm sorry. Please keep going. I just want to make sure we all can understand. Sure. 
Yeah. So, um, but I think cyber encompasses that. In, it encompasses uh, standard uh, information technology, uh, which we usually refer to as IT. It includes operational technology, which we refer to as OT, um, industrial control systems, and all of the networks that connect all of these devices all kind of wrap up under this cyber umbrella. And cybersecurity uh, is a kind of specialty area of the securing of those networks and those systems to prevent uh, attacks, uh, data theft, uh, privacy invasions, and financial theft. So from all those things that you shared, that seems there's a lot of areas requiring a, a ton of investment for companies or government agencies. How do those organizations figure out how to prioritize what they should look at first? Because I'm sure everything that you mentioned and then some are critical. John, do you, do you have some insight into that? Sure, Steve. So I think what we're seeing is we thought that most companies had done an analysis of their cyber transformation and accreditation journey. And we're finding through GAO reports inside the government space that they hadn't done some of that good blocking and tackling to make sure that they were cyber secure uh, to begin with. But I think what's most interesting that we're seeing is part of digital transformation uh, across the government IT market, we're seeing not just a move from legacy server stacks to cloud, not just a move, you know, to component containerization where we're seeing uh, uh, entities uh, begin to develop applications and build new software inside their IT environment. But we're also seeing, you know, a how do we secure that once we modernize our IT infrastructure so we're seeing them go on this transformation uh, that is referred to as this digital transformation journey. And what we're trying to say uh, oftentimes to our client is, how do you think about the cyber vulnerabilities at the beginning of that journey? The, the terminology oftentimes is baking cyber in from the beginning. So we're really trying to, to provide an offering that helps them take that entire journey across many of those IT elements and make sure that they're considering cyber at each one of those intervals as they adapt uh, and incorporate uh, those capabilities into their IT infrastructure, Steve. So that, that's super interesting. How do you prevent, that, that's just a lot to bake in. I, I like that phrase, baking in cyber from the beginning. And it seems if I were the head of an organization or the manager of a unit or something, you know, it's like that's a whole lot to take in. How do you help people become, not become overwhelmed with the task, especially if they're dealing with, we're seeing in the government right now and a lot of companies, they have these huge legacy systems that are out of date and very few people remember how to code them. So Eric, what are you seeing and how you help people from becoming overwhelmed with that? Well, the problems have to be addressed uh, one at a time, and you have to start with assessing uh, what you have currently in your network or what systems you're uh, trying to secure. Um, so that's usually the first step is we start with an assessment. Um, that helps to narrow down the problem to specifically what uh, a particular customer has. So for example, a a local water utility 
Um, they know they need to secure their utilities against, say, ransomware attacks, but they often don't know where to start. So that assessment is that first step that where we can say, okay, you have this many controllers, you have this many computers connected to your network, you have laptops here, you have control systems here, um, and that helps to divide the problem up into manageable segments. Then we can apply vulnerability assessments and uh, industry best practices, and we can do it in a more methodical way and work through the problem uh, one element at a time. Uh, and that way we can provide also a much more holistic approach to security. We can help them secure both their uh, uh, information technology systems as well as their operational and their control systems. Uh, and we can do that with any customer. And, and Steve, uh, let me add one uh, part to that that we're seeing increasingly inside the, the, the U.S. domestic government market, which is ensuring once the technology is in place and you've got perhaps some of the vulnerabilities uh, identified and, and, and those other things in place, now ensuring that you've got a cyber-ready workforce that can maintain and operate and has the expertise to understand what's happening on, on the network uh, and adapt to what is really a dynamic threat environment right now, we're seeing that's a, a real need as well. We're spending a lot of time thinking through the specific needs of our different customers, permanent cyber workforces. What are those types of skills and trainings? How can they continue to adapt themselves based on the new emerging threat vectors that, are, that, are, uh, that seem to be coming about? We're spending an inordinate amount of time thinking about that problem in addition to putting in place the right cyber capability itself inside any given government environment. That's really interesting. You know, wh one of the things that you just pointed out is the difference, if I'm understanding correctly, between data and all that important. And I think that's where the public thinks of the privacy when someone, you know, breaks into a system and steals social security numbers or what have you. But then you're talking about operations, like operations of a water plant, operations of a oil and gas pipeline, operations of a uh, utility grid. Uh, so that seems like those are some pretty big things that people have to look at. Is the approach similar, like this idea that you do the assessment, you look at where the, the holes are, and then you begin to do like a project plan? Is the approach for both data and operations similar? Yes, I think that it, it is similar. Uh, the idea is you assess your risk, you assess your vulnerabilities, and based on the risk that you've identified and the vulnerabilities that you've identified and any technical gaps that you have, you then put a plan in place to address those risks so you can mitigate the vulnerabilities. And that process holds true uh, for uh, operational machine uh, systems, for data systems, for information technology. Uh, a lot of this is wrapped up in national standards that have become very widely adopted. In fact, they've been adopted internationally um, from the National Institute of Standards and Technologies. They have something they call the Risk Management Framework, which has quickly become kind of the de facto standard for uh, how to secure an information system from, uh, from attack, how to reduce it from a risk-based uh, approach. Great. And, and so... 
Look, I think with any major disruption in uh, a country, either a natural disaster or something, and and I'll, clearly we've seen it with COVID-19, some organizations can become distracted from looking at cybersecurity while others are acutely aware of new vulnerabilities from using like, oh, we're using a lot of remote meeting software like Zoom or Google or what have you. What have you been seeing and what are you recommending to Jacob's clients as they are looking at the new vulnerabilities they might be seeing uh, in this and how they should continue to pay attention during a pandemic or going forward any sort of business disruption? So, so certainly some of the first questions that were asked were, as I'm moving my workforce to a teleworking infrastructure, how do I ensure that applications like Zoom or Microsoft Teams or Google Hangouts are secure? Uh, we did see initially some attacks on VPNs, and the Department of Homeland Security has done a good job of helping a lot of large corporations patch those, those vulnerabilities we saw some attacks on the, the supply chain as well post-pandemic. Uh, so we've helped some of our customers uh, address some of those vulnerabilities. But as we think about what here at Jacobs we're calling the next normal and the future of work, uh, you know, we expect this to really catapult the nature of work to being uh, more remote. And so some of the large questions we're asking are, you know, how can we, one, secure that? But how can we help our clients design some unique ways to think about the types of work that can be done uh, more remotely and the types of work that need to be done in an office space? And, and using uh, an offering we have called Insights as a Service, you know, there, there is some interesting analytical work we are doing that'll produce some heuristics to, to help our clients answer some of those very questions. Yeah, it seems like that would be, you know, I've spread out my risk by having all these laptops or home computers now. I mean, business travelers have been taking laptops, you know, for a couple decades now, so that's not entirely new. But all these different vulnerability points has to be, you know, causing some headaches for people. Eric, are you seeing that or or, or how are you seeing what John shared? You're absolutely right, Steve. Um what you're referring to is called the the threat surface. Um, when you analyze your your risk, you look at where all the threats can come from. In traditional IT systems, the threat surface is usually defined by a well-defined perimeter. Uh, inside that perimeter, you have your corporate resources, your company resources, your network, and everything outside of that perimeter is considered to be uh, suspicious or un- untrusted. Uh, with both the advent of cloud technology that we've seen over the last decade, as well as the trends towards uh, mobile computing and um, now with COVID-19, the uh, telecommuting workforce, those traditional threat surfaces have changed dramatically. And that's going to, um, that's going to usher in a, a completely new way of uh, defining your security boundary for a given company uh, or for your corporation. Yeah, it sounds like there's a whole lot for people to think about, especially in this shifting environment that we're going to con- see for quite a while. Now, when it comes to cybersecurity, you know, for me, it occurs common wisdom, if there is such a thing, really thinks that if your company or agency is the target of an organized attack from organized crime, 
or bad actors like Iran or North Korea or Russia or China, there's not much you can do except sort of take it and then recover. Now, I, this is a two-part question. Is that true? And how do these attacks, and, and, and should we think of these things separately from ransomware attacks that you mentioned earlier, where people like, all right, we'll, let, we'll unfreeze your computers if you give us money? Yeah. So um, ransomware, you, you mentioned the ransomware that we talked about earlier. Um, the n most common way a ransomware attack takes hold is usually through a phishing attack, which is when uh, targeted emails have been sent to an unwitting user who opens the email, clicks on the link. The link results in the download of some malicious file, which installs itself on that user's computer. And then they do a lateral attack from that computer to another computer on the network until they get to the sensitive servers where they can lock um, the server up and then hold that server uh, ransom. Uh, we've been able to observe changes in, in just malware as well. Um, mass distributed malware, which is traditionally found with uh, signature-based malware detection uh, and antivirus programs has really evolved into um, uh, identity attacks where um, there are attacks on the identity of users or application-driven attacks. And these all require new ways of approaching cybersecurity uh, where we're using things like Insight as a service and we're using machine learning to understand the behavior of malware rather than try to identify it uh, from a signature-based approach. But what can a client do or is there much they can do if they are have a major organized attack from, as I mentioned, like a, a another country or organized crime? Yeah. So just very quickly, we do have uh, what we call forensics capability where we will come in and, and really unpack that attack to understand the raw attributes. Typically, these things have a signature that you know our team can corroborate with, with signatures uh, of other attacks. And, and then there's a whole process for the way in which, you know, we attempt to mitigate that, that action. A lot of that is, is done uh, in, in a very quiet fashion, quite frankly. And those are services that we have provided for both commercial uh, and government uh, customers. So uh, that certainly continues to be, you know, an, an important need we see within industry. As I mentioned earlier, the dynamism in the attack vectors continues to grow. Um, one thing we're seeing particularly, Stephen, are, are attackers using AI um, to, to improve their techniques across many areas of, of offensive security, phishing, impersonation, vulnerability discovery, uh, things like evasive malware generation. Um, this, this type of attack um, continues to grow both in the commercial and government sectors. And so that forensics capability and the sophistication of it, the ability to rapidly respond uh, is something that we're providing to a number of customers. Talking to two experts like you, it, it really sounds like, yes, it's challenging, but there are systems and approaches in place that you can methodically begin to look at all these issues in a way that sort of lowers the blood pressure and it just becomes a matter of, you know, sophistication and project management. So that's been that's been very interesting. Now you mentioned AI, so I I I want to talk a little bit about that. How does a company figure out or an organize a government organization how machine learning, better data analytics and artificial intelligence can help them? 
What are some questions you think that they should be asking themselves around those areas? Eric, do you want to lead off? Yeah, sure, Steve. Um, with artificial intelligence and machine learning, the real benefit comes from the ability to process uh, the massive amounts of data that are coming through our customers' networks. Um, we have security operations centers that are processing literally billions of messages per day. And the ability to have a manual analyst go through all of those messages and identify indicators of compromise is, is uh, it, it's impossible to do with humans in the loop or entirely with humans in the loop. And that's where artificial intelligence and machine learning can really have an impact on our customers' ability to secure their networks. John, did you want to add to what Eric shared? Yeah. So just a, a short uh, addition to that, we've got a matrix that, that we often use to say, look, is AI applicable here? And that is, one, does it, this problem require us to make large, complex calculations? Two, must we transfer a large amount of information quickly? And three, does it require us to make a series of calculations rapidly and accurately? And if the answer to that is yes, there's often an application uh, of AI. Um, and we've seen this in use cases now from customer service to HR, to productivity and collaboration, to analytics, uh, on the industrial AI side, we're applying this to quality control, uh, supply chain management, fleet logistics and, and routing. So with that simple calculation, uh, when customers bring us a problem, we're often able to say, yes, there's a way that machine learning can augment human intelligence to solve some discrete business problem you have. That's really interesting. Now, I have to admit... Um my own ignorance and something, and I think people listening might have the same challenge, which is why I'm bringing it up. Is there a big distinction between machine learning and AI that's easy for everyone to understand? Well, machine learning is primarily the ability for a computer to learn to recognize certain patterns in data from being trained on large quantities of data. Uh, so, for example, you can train a machine learning model to recognize um, something like command and control network traffic in many, many, many terabytes worth of network data that's been collected. Artificial intelligence is the application of that knowledge to make decisions, to support decision making. So it's using the machine learning models and the output from the machine learning models to make smart decisions. That's super helpful. So it's one and then, and then with the other. That's that's really interesting. Now, when it comes uh, to trends in the whole area of cyber, what are you seeing right now? And what do you think's coming down the pike as far as cyber infrastructure that people should be paying attention to? 5G came up. I think there's been a lot about that. So what are you both seeing? Uh, John, do you want to lead that one? Sure. So I'd start with, on the application side, application delivery scale and complexity is just growing, growing as a result of, as I mentioned earlier, uh, component containerization, so things like Docker and, and Kubernetes, where you host these uh, software applications. There's a whole security infrastructure that must be built uh, around that. 
And, and then as cloud adoption continues to scale inside the government, how are you securing that infrastructure? You know, mobile computing, that is disrupting the traditional market uh, and sort of redefining both network and, and server security requirements. Uh, and then, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we're seeing uh, attackers use AI in, in new and interesting ways to launch attacks. So I think those three things are the largest, most widely applicable types of trends that are occurring in the enterprise IT market for our customers. Interesting. Eric, are you seeing the same stuff or do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I, I totally agree with what John was saying. And at a lower level, uh, we're seeing our communications networks evolving uh, and they're evolving rapidly. Uh, we've mentioned 5G a couple times and the, the changes that that's going to bring. And also we see uh, for the last 10, 12 years, we've seen a major trend towards the what we call the ITOT convergence. That's information technology and operational technology converging. Uh, the generic use case of that would be a uh, factory that has a bunch of controllers controlling their equipment have now plugged these control systems into the internet to gain the efficiency of being able to monitor and control their operational networks from uh, a, a mobile point. Uh, but the problem that brings is you've now you've now connected your physical and your logical infrastructure, and you've made the physical plant, whether it's your robotic uh, machinery or uh, the pumps in a watering station or your electrical utilities, they are all now connected to the rest of the internet, which means there are paths and vulnerabilities that make them vulnerable to attack. So we see a big convergence there, and we see a, a great need across our customer base to help them secure those connections. This has been a fascinating conversation, and we've covered a lot of areas, and I think we could easily take an hour or two on on each. And Eric and John, what I really appreciate is how you you explain these very complicated topics in a way that's not only interesting for a lay audience, but also offers something for people that know more about it. Now, uh, we covered a lot of territory. Is there anything that I forgot to ask that you'd want to add or let people know about that I that I failed to mention? No, Steve, I think we covered all of the, the big, impactful trends across the cyber market, as well as some of the capabilities right now that, that we're delivering to our enterprise uh, government cyber customers. Great. Now, how can people reach you or find out more information if they have some questions about Jacobs and your cyber capabilities? Steve, uh, you can reach us and find out more about our cyber business at jacobs.com. Great. Eric, John, thank you so much for your time. This has been really interesting. A great conversation. Glad to be with you, Steve. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for listening to Inflection Points, a podcast series from Jacobs. To find out more, please visit jacobs.com. Jacobs, challenging today, reinventing tomorrow.